Hello and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 16. Chris, how's it going? It's going pretty well. I'm doing all right. How are you doing? You are in Texas. <laughs> I am in How Texas. How was the snow? I have survived Snowvid. It was uh, a fun surprise urban camping adventure. I got to cancel all of my meetings because without power, you don't have internet. And without internet, I can't do any work involving other humans. And so I just had so much time to journal ideas about different things. I also came to this place of appreciating so much more. The power is on now and the water is running and the water won't give me diarrhea if some of it gets in my stomach. And I, I don't even think about it. And it's like so cheap that it's practically free. And that's amazing. And I just take it for granted most of my life. But in these moments of, okay, there was this really weird weather incident that I can't rely on the underlying infrastructure before. I've got to start thinking just, I get knocked back all the way to like, okay, it's so cold. I need to devote a significant amount of my time and attention and mental energy to how can I stay warm? And that's just not a problem that I have in modernity. And uh, like, you know, how am I going to get food? Uh, is there going to be a run in the grocery store? And it's so icy, I can't drive somewhere. So I've got to figure out how to walk to a grocery store. Uh, and like, there's no power. So what are all of the things that I just don't even think about that require power? Uh, it's, it's everything. It's all of the things that I interact with require power of some kind. So now I'm thinking even at the level of like, thankfully cell service was on most of the time, uh, just like a little spotty. Uh, but now I'm trying to think about, oh man, what, what batteries do I have half charged that I can use to trickle out a little bit more power? So, uh, I am feeling much more appreciative of the fact that in the world that I live in, these incredibly complicated systems work most of the time. And that's amazing. They work so often and so routinely that I don't even have to think about them. And I can focus on these higher level things of fun apps that I want to build on top of this infrastructure that's, you know, a, a hundred thousand layers deep. And I don't even think about any of those layers. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun being up the level of abstraction where you don't have to worry about now. It was probably not fun at all for people who had that happen for, you know, many days and also for like all the power plant workers and stuff. I imagine that was extremely stressful. Um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> What's the, how, how was your, we, we took a week off because of Snowbit. Yeah. Uh, how were your two weeks? What did you get up to? Well, so it was last time I had just finished or, or was about to finish Acorn Chat, uh, which I did, uh, did that in a week. Um, and then like the next day, my wife went sledding with our kids and hit her foot really hard on a giant ice ball. And she thought she broke it. Um, went to the doctor, got an x-ray. It wasn't broken, but you know, he said you have to stay off it for probably a week or two. So she has been on crutches for the last couple of weeks, which means I've been taking care of the kids and her. And so oh, man. that's just, I, I went from a, a high of finishing an app real, real quickly. And I thought it was really cool. And then, you know, life hits you. And um, so that's a similar, similar situation, I guess. It's like, you don't appreciate, you know, <laughs> what you have until you have to uh, take care of, you know, your wife and your two kids. I feel like we're eerily synced up. Like we, we both had really rocking weeks <laughs> the week that you did Acorn Chat. And then we both in different ways uh, were knocked back a little bit by natural disasters. Uh, weird. Spooky. All right, cool. Uh, I'm so excited for Acorn Chat that that's like a thing now. I think the last time I checked on the webpage, there was a waiting list that I could sign up for. So I did. Uh, part of Snowvid is that I haven't checked my email in so long 
So I don't know if you've like released a launch email. Is that a thing that people can sign up for and pay for now? Uh, yeah, so you can actually sign up and pay for it now. Um, oh, amazing. I should probably go back and email the <laughs> launch list because there were a few people that signed <laughs> up. Not many, but a few. Um, yeah, so I meant to be further along by now, but the last two weeks sort of knocked me out. Uh, but you can sign up for it. Uh, it works. Uh, the big thing that does not work is presence. And so it's always on, uh, which mm. is the next big thing I want to tackle. Also, if you go to the pay the web page right now it's just like um here's live customer chat sign up <laughs> and there's like zero information um so the next big thing after uh presence uh, detection is um actually getting information on the marketing site um and then i have you know a dozen other you know features that i want to add after that but that's the plan i have a question for you about the marketing site I have seen two ideologies on making your marketing site. The first is the very traditional, more boilerplate, like, okay, we have a screenshot of the product on the right and a headline and a subheadline on the left. And then we have three boxes with the three top features. And then below that we have testimonials. And then below that we have a sign up link. And the other methodology I've seen is something I've referred, seen referred to as long form copy. This is something that I first saw from Amy Hoy's, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? NoCo, because uh, they recently yeah. changed the name. Uh, and through 30 by 500, they have a workshop of this, of like, here's how you make this type of landing page. And the, the idea is it's more of an essay in uh, in the, the general format of pain, dream, fix. So like, ah, don't you hate it when you can't talk to your customers? You didn't have that in the customer's words. Wouldn't it be great if uh, the dream you... Uh, we're able to talk to your customers in the platform you're already using, like Slack. And then the fix, here's my thing, it's Acorn Chat. Sign up right here. When you think of what your landing page would be, what are you picturing? Is it one of those two ideologies or is it something else? Yeah, so those are the two I'm familiar with also. Um, it would be an interesting thing to A-B test maybe. But um, my sort of sense is that Pain Dream Fix is really good for... Um, it's it's good for if, if your app does something slightly novel, I think. Um, mm -hmm. In this case, Acorn Chat is like, uh, it has a slightly different take on it, but it, it's a thing that already exists, like live chat mm -hmm. already exists. And so I think that people coming to this site are also going to have, you know, 10 other competitor sites open and kind of comparing them. And so my thought is that the long form essay would not work as well in that case, because it's more mm -hmm. like they're trying to compare alternatives. Whereas Pain Dream Fix is really good for like, you have an audience, you drive them to this page, they say, yes, yes, yes. And then they sign up for your email list or something like that. Um, hmm. So I, I will tend probably towards just an, a more typical uh, marketing page. I do want to provide like lots of docs. Um, I think docs and information, like especially when people are comparing alternatives, if they can easily find like exactly their use case and like you have a video or an article about exactly how to use it for that use case, then that's like a really strong signal for them to try it. Um, hmm. So I think just like, and sort of an overwhelming amount of docs that are hopefully easily searchable, um, I think is is probably a really good way to go um, for this. Uh, that said, I do want to include Pain Dream Fix or that sort of style in my marketing page, even though it's going to look more like a traditional one. So um, in that way, it'd be like, you know, focusing on the customer, you know, so anytime you want to say like I or us, it's like turn it around, focus on the customer instead, um, focus on their pain point, you know, all of that. But in this case, I think looking like a more traditional marketing site is probably a better way to go. I love that simple flipping of anytime you want to say I or us. Okay, no, this is about the customer. Switch your orientation. You're not saying like, oh, here's what I am and right. here's how great I am. No one cares. People care about how you can solve a pain for them. So that's that's the singular focus. Who is the person you're helping and what's the, the pain point that you have with them? 
I like your distinction of the long form copy page is for things that don't have an established category. That sort of conceptually makes sense in my head. But that's not NoCo. NoCo is a time tracker, and that's a category of things. Yeah, that's that. That's true. So, yeah. So I guess I'm not sure. Um, part of it also is that I've tried writing those long form copy things before, and I'm not super good at it. <laughs> so, um, I know if I try, it will maybe come off uh, slightly odd. So that's another reason that I may not do it. Um, yeah, I, it'd be interesting to you know A/B test. Like, you could pay for traffic and run traffic to do different pages, and you know, yeah see how it converts um i'm not sure like so even if you i guess my point is even if you do a traditional looking a more traditional looking marketing site you can incorporate the sort of longer form paint dream fix style um which i which i think is kind of a good so what i'm saying is i'll probably do like a hybrid i guess a good hybrid for you because you've mastered video so well might be that you have the traditional layout of the page you have the heading and subheading but then instead of the screenshot image Something I've seen before as a spin on this is that's a demo video. And then I think you could just knock that demo video out of the park. And then the format of the demo video is paint dream fix. So for people who are trying to do the pattern matching of like, they are uh, comparing a bunch of different chat tools and just need to see the nuts and bolts of like, okay, what is this thing and what are its main features and what's the pricing? Uh, they can just pattern match the structure of the page. And for people who are landing on it, wanting more of the... Like the na uh, narrative? Yeah, that they, they don't quite know what they're looking for. They have a an unexpressed, they have a pain, but they don't quite know what the solution is. Uh, then the, the video would resonate more with them. But then I think the question I would ask is like, by trying to serve both of those types of people, are you not diluting your audience? Would it not be better to right. focus on like a, a single type of person, especially while you're so small? Hmm, hmm, interesting. Uh, you brought up A-B testing. With File Inbox, I feel like I'm... I'm like just barely on the cusp of having enough traffic that uh, I can get statistically valid tests uh, in doing things like this. And I ran a test for a long form copy page that I tried to do with File Inbox after being so excited in this workshop I did with Amy Hoy about uh, how to do the, the long form copy pages. Uh, and her philosophy on this is like, this format is objectively better. This is so much better like A-B test, it, it's the, the standard boilerplate is, is awful. And when I ran the A-B tests, I had 3.02% conversion on the original landing page. This was out of uh, almost 17,000 participants. And on my long form copy page, I had 2.79%, which is uh, almost an 8% decrease. Now it didn't run long enough to have sufficient confidence, but I got spooked by that and so turned right. it off. And there's a number of reasons why that might be, uh, but I... <laughs> It's a question I struggle with. I don't. I don't know what the best sort of landing page is. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why you test. Um, also, it'd be very interesting. So you're me you're basically measuring one thing, which is do they convert or not. Um, mm -hmm. It'd be really interesting to measure things like you know time on page. Uh, also, mm -hmm. things like so retargeting might be a huge deal here. So if you run ads and you drive people to two pages, and they you know read a significant amount of your long form page but don't convert. And then later you retarget them with a free trial offer. I bet that would yeah. convert very well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So there's probably lots of experiments you could do. I mean, which all take lots of work, right? So, but um, it, it may be that you're just like you're testing conversion on the page, but that may not be exactly the whole story. And the conversions I'm testing are signups. And it may very well be that I get 8% fewer people signing up, but the people who sign up after reading the story and buying into that 
actually convert into paying customers right. and then stay with me for five years versus the the other people are just featured comparing and, and wouldn't. Oh, what a what a complicated problem. Yeah, I feel like yeah. then the like I think the thing I want to do then is just if you if I have a very clear model of who the person is who I'm trying to help and what the problem is that they have, I could talk to people like that and try to get more of a holistic sense of like, hey, here's this page. I want to see you looking at it and then hear their thoughts of like, oh, well, I'm an accountant and I hate long form copy because that's just the way that accountants are. And so me reading this, I feel like it's not a thing for me. Uh, or maybe the type of accountant I'm trying to target uh, is not aware that file sharing portals are a thing. And so I need the long form copy to be able to explain that concept to them. Or maybe accountants are very aware of what a file upload portal is and they're just looking for one that has this specific feature. And if I just have a blank page with a headline that says, I'm a file upload portal with this feature, maybe that would be the best thing. Uh, and best here is like, it's sort of fuzzy. It's not, I don't feel like it's something I can A-B test. I think this is a, a, something that I'll only get from having more conversations with people. Uh, it, it feels like it always comes back to that. Of like, just, <laughs> just talk, talk to, to your customers. That's, right. that's the, the best thing you can do. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. This is also like, uh, you sort of hit on a thing, which is at 17,000 people, you were only just statistically significant. Um, so that's a really important point for especially young products like, like Acorn Chat. The very yeah. best thing that I can do is probably put something up that looks reasonable and then spend all the rest of my time on like, you know, uh, documentation and more features until I have, you know, a solid feature set and, you know, uh, writing blog posts that, you know, I try to either drive con drive paid traffic to or try to go viral somehow. Um, mm. Like all of that is probably way more impactful than, uh, you know, conversion optimization right now for me. Yeah, I agree. I'll also add that was not statistically significant. Uh, my my dashboard right now says insufficient confidence. There you go. That eighteen thousand or uh, seventeen thousand people was was not enough. Uh, oh no, it was so total because it was about seventy thousand in each was uh, about thirty four thousand. Uh, and I, it's been a while since I've taken a statistics class. I think that has to do with if the per the percentages have to be far enough apart. And so if you have if you have a small number of people, but the percentages are really far apart, that would be significant. But if the percentages are close together, it would take way more people to get statistical significance. I think is how that works. Does that sound right? That sounds correct. It's also been about 12 years since I've taken a statistics <laughs> class. But yeah, that sounds about right. Let's, let's take a statistics class together. The the next uh, <laughs> the next snowvid slash ankle breaking. Uh, or foot? Foot. Foot. Or foot broke. Yeah. Foot, foot, okay. foot, foot yes. did not break, but bruised badly. <laughs> All right, yeah. we'll take the class if a foot breaks, but not if an ankle breaks. That's what that's what we're deciding right here. Uh, neat. I have so many things that I would like to talk about. I think it's like 15 ideas that I had during Snowvid uh, because I was in a state where like, I can't do real work and all of my regular calls are canceled. And so I'm just taking a whole bunch of walks and doing basic survival things like you know, filtering water and getting right. groceries and cooking and things, uh, huddling together for warmth. <laughs> uh, and so like what, it was a perfect environment for these ideas to just be percolating and me for me to take notes on them. Um, so I have a bunch of things that I'd like to just sort of shoot out there. And I don't necessarily want to talk about each one for very long because otherwise this podcast would be like four hours long. But I think what I want to do is just like, 
shoot out these ideas and just get your hot take on them and then we'll do like two minutes each and then move to the next one how does that sound that, that sounds good if i'm giving hot takes i'll ask uh what are your goals with any of these ideas first so to make the world better okay <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the commonality uh yeah i don't i don't know i think I think useful feedback for me would be if you were like, oh, this idea is very similar to this existing thing. And like, here's a community that would be very interested in this. Or like, Christian, that's a dumb idea because that's not even solving a real problem. All right. Uh, cool. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Uh, the, oh, where do I even want to start? We'll start here. This, this is the one I'm, I'm most excited about. I had the thought, like, why do I buy things from Amazon instead of Shopify stores? And I think the reason is I have an Amazon app, but I don't have... A Shopify app. And so this idea is an Amazon app for Shopify stores. You have like a Shopify plugin that does whatever protocol you need to be able to have like, here's how you submit an order. And the front end of it for a consumer would be, it's Amazon. And you, you can search and it's Amazon and there's reviews like there's Amazon and there's one tap purchases like it's Amazon and you can buy things from multiple sellers at the same time. And there's a standard rate for shipping. Uh, and that that would be that would this would be a thing that would like topple Amazon's dominance because now that you're you're getting a similar sort of experience as you are to Amazon, uh, but you don't have to actually use Amazon because uh, like the the friction in buying something from Shopify is I gotta enter my credit card again, which there are consumer based hacks that you can do of like autofill and things, uh, but if that was as seamless as Amazon purchases are, people would buy more from Shopify stores. What's your hot take? All right, hot take. Uh, so Justin Jackson um, had, early in the pandemic, he had this thought also, and then he did several tweet threads about it. So I would go look at those. Um, I don't remember any of the specifics, but yeah, the idea was, you know, why do we buy everything from Amazon? There are lots of independent um, retailers. He may have even been talking about Shopify. Um, and I think especially his take was if you can regionally group them, then you can get things like two-day shipping, um, you know, because all the retailers are within 100 miles or something. Um, so it, it sounds very interesting. Um, I think for something to work in that space, it would have to get really large. You would have to have a lot of buy. Well, maybe not. If you could, because you, you talked about like a Shopify app. So if all you had to do is get stores to like list their thing on a Shopify app and like you did it for them, then that's the supply side. So, so, so my, my thing is this is a marketplace basically. So you have a supply and a demand side. Your demand yeah. is how many people download your app. Your supply side is how many stores you have on the platform and marketplaces are generally typically difficult to get off the ground. Um, mm -hmm. but it's very, it's, it's interesting, difficult, but interesting. It's my hot take. That's exactly what I want. That's exactly, you, I got a reference for a hot lead for Justin Jackson's tweet thread, which I'll link in the show notes. Uh, and a challenge of this business is that it's uh, a marketplace business. Yes. All right. I, next idea. Uh, I built a phone on the Twilio API and uh, just like a, a Google voice clone, just like the easiest thing. I take messages that they come in from the Twilio API and I shove them in a Firebase database. And it's really cool because I have my own phone now and I can do weird things like, you know, take notes on phone calls because uh, I can see when the phone call happened and then I can take notes on it. Uh, and sort of like has it as a mini CRM. And something I've noticed is I'm getting so many spam calls and the number is registered on the FTC's do not call list and I'm still getting them. 
And so I thought like, oh, I have built my own phone. I bet I could plug this into the FTC database and that they would have like an API that I could just say, okay, in my app, I say, mark this as spam. And then it zoops over to the FTC website and uh, marks that as spam. And then maybe there's a way that I could like ask the FTC, hey, I'm getting this phone call right now. Is this a spam call? And they would tell me. And that API does not exist on the FTC. They have an API that you can use to get records of all of the reports of spam calls as a database. But then you have to go through this work of like, okay, do I download the last six months of those things and then look for this particular phone number? Like it's not practical to do in real time. So here's my idea. I make do not call dot dev and I have a, oh, they also don't have a way that you can uh, report spam phone calls. They have like a, a human form that you have to do. So do not call dot dev uh, has an API endpoint where you can post that a call is spam. Uh, and then that I just use like headless Chrome to go and post that on the uh, do not call actual database. And I keep a record of it. So I have a separate record if they're not, if they start ignoring my request, I, I still have a copy of it. And then I have another API endpoint that says, hey, what's the, what's the reputation of this particular phone number? And then I won't necessarily make a judgment on that, but I'll say like, this number was reported to be spam on these dates. And it's just an array of timestamps. Uh, and as far as I can tell, that doesn't currently exist and it would make my phone app better. What's your hot take? All right. Um... So uh, one of my understandings is that uh, spam callers often spoof, spoof numbers. So mm. I don't know how prevalent that is, but that's something that I would watch out for. Um, I think it, I think it's a great idea. Uh, another difficult but interesting um, problem with potentially very high value. Um, however, the, the high value might be spread across like a million different consumers. Um, it would be interesting to see if you could come up with some businesses which might have this as a high value problem. And... Um, so like any business that accepts incoming calls and then say, you know, I can stop your spam calls for $1,000 a month or something like that. I don't know what that business would be, but that'd be an interesting same <laughs> it's idea before market. Again, that's right. That's what all these are. Yeah. yeah. So um, it is, again, interesting problem. Uh, lots of difficulties, but high value if you can solve it, I think. Love it. Thank you for your hot take. Next idea. I want to, a problem I'm running into doing clipped up marketing is there is some uh, FFmpeg commands that I would like to run in a serverless way. We talked a little bit about this. Uh, the, the thing that I want to exist is a way, an, an API endpoint that I can just post jobs to, uh, to say like, hey, here's the FFmpeg command that I would be running on my computer, but I don't know at an infrastructure level if I'm gonna send this to you like once per day or a thousand times per day. Uh, and also it comes in bursts and like, I don't want to have to be paying for an EC2 server that I'm not actually using. So this would be a serverless FFmpeg infrastructure. You just, you post the job to it and your inputs have to be URLs to videos, or maybe I have my own way that you can upload videos to my site. Uh, it would be similar to QEncode, this existing company that just does, uh, encoding a video. And I don't think I could use FFmpeg in the name because that's copywritten, but I, it would be like, this is a serverless video editor. And oh, how strange, it has the same API as FFmpeg. Uh, and I'm gonna need to sort of build this for doing clip-stop-marketing stuff. And so if I put a little bit more work into it, I could, I could just separate out that part of it and have that as a separate thing. And I could see this being like building a SaaS in a week uh, that like by the end of the week, 
I have a SaaS where I charge, I don't know, per second of execution time or something or per job or I haven't quite worked that out yet. There's also some fun technical challenges of like the, the Google Cloud serverless infrastructure that I want to build this on has a maximum job time of, uh, I think it's seven minutes. And so I don't know how I, there's a way in FFmpeg that you can split things up and like say, okay, I want you to render frames zero through hundred and then 101 through 200. And then there's another way that you can uh, slurp those those together and have it in the same job. But that, that's like a fun implementation problem. Uh, what's your hot take on FFmpeg as a serverless uh, API? Yeah, so I think uh, it's a great idea if you can find the people that, that, you know, if you can actually reach the people who need it. Um, so you are, you know, proof that this market exists. Um, I think, you know, anytime you can run a computer, computer command, you know, if you can get it in the cloud somewhere, then people will pay for it. The trick is, can you find enough of those people fast enough to actually pay for the thing? Um, mm -hmm. And that I have no idea about. So um, I would go, you know, maybe do some sales safari type uh, work about, you know, going to forums and trying to see if you can find people complaining that FFmpeg won't run correctly, you know, on their machine or that they wish there was a service that existed or something like that. Um, it's a little bit of a solution in search for a market, but um, I have to believe that there are people who want to run FFmpeg from their servers, especially like, mm, well, no, I was going to say like static sites. So static sites are a really cool thing for a lot of people. I wonder if any of them need to use FFmpeg. I'm not sure about that. Um, it may also just be a thing where if you make it, then you are suddenly able to do things which are interesting. So like if you wanted to create podcast um, clips with like moving backgrounds or something, you could use your own FFmpeg service. And mm -hmm. maybe it, it just becomes a superpower for you to build other things. Um, yeah. In the worst case, yeah, this is the thing that I want to exist for clips.marketing. So, okay. I, I think, I think how I'm probably going to build this out is just in writing the code to do this, I'm going to make a separate Firebase project and I'm going to be architecting this so that I make API calls to the separate project through webhooks instead of building that into clips up marketing. And then I have my own API that's for serverless rendering and like, that would be fun. Uh, and if I stumble on an audience that would also use that, then I'll, I'll put the extra little work into it to uh, make that a thing. Yeah. Uh, I have five more things that I'd like to right. take on. Oh, Here we go. <laughs> one more sec on the FFMP thing. I guess the way that yeah. I would try to find an audience, um, if you want more inbound leads is make it for yourself. And then on the thing, don't, don't put any effort into like user signups or anything. Just yeah. put a, you know, if you want to use a service, email me. Yeah your email link you know um like that and then you know if people really want the service enough to send you an email then maybe they will also pay for it um yeah that's how i do it i like that cool um and i can use the best format of landing page <laughs> that we that we figure out right maybe it's just a demo video i like that if it was just like a headline in a demo video yeah because that I think I think we're both very good at that format of conveying information and that's that's proven to be very successful for you on twitter of having these tweet threads of building a SaaS in a week and stuff. That's, I like that. I like that medium of conveying information. So I think, I think I build this as a separate thing for clips marketing and then film a little video of like, here's how this is working for clips marketing behind the scenes. If this is a thing that you would like, send me an email. Yeah. The, the other thing uh, I'd probably do is like write four or five blog posts that are like bottom of the funnel, really bottom of the funnel content for like, you know, so it's like, you should definitely include the keywords, you know, FFmpeg as a service in your blog post somewhere, you know, stuff like, stuff like that. Really, really like high intent keyword blog posts. Um, and then just get them out on the internet. 
you know, they'll eventually get indexed by Google. And then six months later, if you do turn it into a service, you'll be really happy that you have those, those older, you know, posts, hopefully ranking well at that point. Love it. I like FFmpeg as a service. That's fun. Fast. <laughs> Neat. Uh, similar to this idea, uh, I, for clips of marketing need to do transcriptions of videos. And as far as I can tell, Amazon and Google have APIs for this. I think Google's is better. And there's, I actually don't know if there's third-party ones. Uh, there's like Descripts, but they don't have an API. Uh, oh, I forgot to run my command. Let's, yeah, there we go. Uh, in using Google's API, there were like a dozen really stupid things in their API that made it really difficult to use. And each of those stupid things took me like an hour to figure out how to solve it. One of those things is they only accept uh, audio file formats that are like FLAC, what, which I had never heard of before, and yeah. three other really weird ones. And so that's that's one of the things is like, I need to figure out how to convert this to FLAC. And then another thing is you have to have the audio file hosted already. So I had to figure out, okay, I gotta have a script to like upload this to Google Cloud Storage. And okay, now we got it. And then another thing is the format that they give you back is weird. So if you want to use this in any sort of standard format, like an SRT or like a transcript file, you have to figure out logic to take, they, they sent you back basically an array where each item in the array is a word with a start and end time that that word is said. Uh, and it's not very difficult. It took me like a couple of hours to take that data and transcribe that into, or, or translate that into a, an SRT. And there's other things like that. And so here's my idea. <laughs> it's just a wrapper around the Google transcription API where I make the API interface that I would want to use. So it's like a single post request with your API key and you post the data of the audio file in any format. Maybe you can also do video file. I don't know. Uh, I probably don't want to mess with that. And then I handle transcribing it. And then uh, I convert it to several different formats for you and have available to you the, the original Google data. Uh, and... Oh, another stupid thing about this is it's like really difficult to know when your job is done. I had several back and forth with people on Stack Overflow of how to how to figure out like if you're if you sit there waiting for it, you can just wait ten minutes for the file to get transcribed and and uh, it gives you back the result. But there's not a webhook. There's no way for you to say like, hey, when this job is done, just post at this URL to tell me it's done. So you have to come up with your own infrastructure to like figure out uh, when it's actually done. So that's that's. In my service, that's the wrapper. I've already solved these problems. I would just like package together. You just post the file to me and you tell me where you want the file, uh, where you want the not notification when it's done. And then I tell you when it's done and I've already translated it to these formats. Chris, what's your hot take? Um, so my first thought was whenever you wrap someone else's service, make sure to read their terms of service really, really carefully because it may okay. be against your terms of service. Um, if it is against your terms of service, you could still probably get around it by doing stuff like you're not selling them the service. You are selling them a, you know, a library for $300, which does the thing and they run the mm -hmm. library and, you know, do the thing. Um, so that's a pretty common thing. Um, but you can make a library for that. Uh, my other thought was you could, you know, I'm sure lots and lots of people use this and have these problems also. So you could probably sell a course. Um, so this might be an mm -hmm. info product kind of play, you know, like do all these things. Um, it may also be that you give out a free course and you say, here is all the steps it takes, or you could buy my library for $399 or something like that. Um, so those are all my thoughts about this. Sounds like a good idea, but I'm reminded of, uh, Pete Keen's 
uh, Mastering Modern Payments. I think he did that exact same strategy. He had like a, a book on how to integrate Stripe with Rails. And I don't remember if he sold the library. I think I think it was like an upgrade to the course that uh, if you bought his top tier, you also got the code that was already implemented for dragging and dropping it in Rails and uh, just getting all the content from the course out of the box. Yeah, that's I like that as a play. I like that. I like that. Uh, the, the thing that I want to exist is just like the API that I think should happen. And so if the terms of service don't... I can't imagine that would be a problem. As long as I wasn't marketing like... This is a wrapper for the really bad Google speech-to-text right. algorithm. If I said instead, like, here's a very easy way to go from uh, speech-to-text, yeah. and who knows what API I use. Yeah. Uh, so often, if you have them input their own API keys, then it's okay. Mm -hmm. But if you use your own API key and basically are reselling their service, then that's when it's not okay. So just read the terms of service carefully. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Okay, okay. Oh, I like using their API key. Okay, I'll, I'll read the terms of service. Uh, I can imagine a really simple workflow where like as part of onboarding, I just walk you through the process of here's exactly how you get the API key. Okay, cool. Uh, next idea. I think every YouTube channel should have a podcast feed associated with it. That's the audio only version of the show. Audio, uh, YouTube is already doing this processing. They already have audio only versions of the streams. Uh, and maybe it's like a toggle that you toggle in your YouTube channel that if you have a YouTube channel that's not uh, the type of content that would make sense on a podcast. If it's like funny cat videos, right. that doesn't make sense as a podcast. It's just, <laughs> just going to be like the generic uh, background music. Yeah. yeah, but for a show like ours where I'm literally just taking the show every week and I make the video first and then I scrape the audio off of it and then that audio becomes the... Uh, the podcast. I was thinking like, oh, this would be fun to build into Transistor. Uh, actually, this this would be a really good idea for Justin Jackson. Like, Transistor Transistor could have an API. Transistor could could have an option where it was just like track this YouTube channel and slurp the videos off of it. Uh, and I think it would be a fun idea for YouTube to do of like, if they just overnight had a toggle in your dashboard that was check this box and your YouTube channel is now a podcast and is available in every podcast reader and has the same album art. And we just use your description and title uh, as the description and title of the, the podcast. Uh, I think that'd be really cool. Chris, what's your hot take? Um, so there's another one that's super cool. Uh, and another one where you're gonna run into terms of service violations really fast. Um, you cannot mm. slurp YouTube videos in any kind of meaningfully large way without- You sure cannot. Uh, without breaking their terms of service. Um, instead, what you could do is uh, what I think um, Transistor wanted to do, there was, I, again, Justin Jackson uh, posted a tweet about something about their YouTube thing. But if you upload a Transistor first, so upload the video to Transistor, they could automatically mm -hmm. upload to YouTube and publish on their, on their podcast feed. That would be okay, as far as I understand. Um, uh, but yeah. And also, uh, this is not something YouTube will build natively because then you are going to be clicking off of their platform to a podcast they want you to uh, yeah, get all their content on YouTube. So. It is and as we learned with Google Reader, Google does not like exactly. open protocols. Right. So. Um, so it is a neat idea. However, I think you'd have to attack it from the other other, other direction. That makes sense. In the meantime, I'm uh, going to continue using YouTube DL to have this be convenient for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> Theoretically, allegedly. Uh, <laughs> 
This is a quick one. This is one we've already talked about. I want to make my own front-end email client for processing email. Uh, I'm getting along with things like, uh, oh, Spark uh, that let me do triaging. But there's some weird things I want to do that I, I feel like it's time for me to, like the Gmail API doesn't look that hard. And uh, there's some automated processing things I want to do, especially now with Snowvid. Like I am so behind on email and this feels like a really great time to dig into this uh, and do my own thing. And so then I could be doing things like uh, I have a little CRM system that I built just based on markdown files. I could be pulling those into my email thing. If anytime I have an email thread, it shows me my rendered markdown notes of that person next to it with the metadata. And I can like add notes to that. Uh, and I could do better triaging that was easier. Uh, and a thing that I've been wanting to do in Gmail that like I don't think is possible is to sort by oldest. I want to go from the oldest message to the newest message, and I can't do that. The best way to do it in Gmail is like you sort by, you sort newest to oldest, and then you keep clicking through until you're at the very end. And then somewhere buried in settings is like, when I finish a message, go to the previous message in this thread. Hmm. And like, no, that's that's not what I want to happen. And I played with Superhuman, and Superhuman's very good, but it's not exactly what I want. And I'm very finicky, and I just want it to be exactly what I want. And so I think it's time to make my own email client for Gmail. Chris, What's your hot take? I think it's great if you want to do it for yourself. Um, I would be very careful about thinking that this is going to uh, make you a lot of money or something like that. Uh, <laughs> you would be competing against free Gmail and also paid superhuman and paid uh, hay. And yeah. um, so competing just against email, I think would be very, very tricky. Uh, if, however, you did something like you made an email thing that was really great, had really great integration, like you were talking about with some CRM or maybe a custom mm -hmm. CRM of some kind, um, and you know and that was the play i think that's pretty interesting um mm. i even think there are things like uh gmail plugins that integrate with crms too um so you could kind of look look at that direction so like maybe the answer is a gmail plugin um mm. that then integrates with your custom crm or whatever um so yes i think it's very interesting for you to do as a project for yourself i would be careful about trying to sell it though that makes sense i'm Optimistic, seeing Superhuman, I would not have thought that Superhuman could exist. If you asked me before Superhuman, like, here's the idea. It's not an email client in itself. Like, it, it doesn't host its own email. It's just a front end to Gmail. Yeah. And it's going to be a SaaS. They're going to charge for it monthly. I'd be like, you're crazy. There's no way. Uh, maybe as a Chrome extension, but, like, that's not a standalone app. Uh, and I feel like I have enough motivation just with the problems that I have to make this a thing. So uh, prudent advice that it's probably not going to make money. Uh, I think it could, I, like if you integrate it really well into a CRM or something, like if you have a different take on it rather than just like superhuman is trying to be the very best email on top of, you know, regular email and then, Hey, yes. also ha which has their own take. But so if you have your, if you come up with your own take, I think that might be an interesting way to do it. Cool. I think I'm less interested in this as a way to make money as I am as a productivity tool. So I think that the seed that I'd like to plant with you is if you had control of Gmail and could implement your own features in an email client, what are the things that you're really annoyed by that you would want to work differently? Yeah. Because I'm I'm like right on the cusp of having critical mass of the number of features that I would want to, yeah. to exist to invest the time in making this. I don't get too uh, much I don't get too much email. So I don't like I don't have the problems that people do, you know, when they get to go to superhuman or something. The only thing I want, which I know a lot of people want, I want a way to mark emails as a to do item. Mark, mark them as red, but I still have to do, do something on them. Mm. And the, the way I do that now is I just mark them as unread, but that's a terrible yeah. thing. Cause then I go back into the, <laughs> I go back into the email to like read the more details about the thing and have to mark it as unread again. It's just an awful, yes. I want to be able to mark emails as done 
separate from red. That's the only thing. Yep. I like that. My current system for that is loosely based on inbox zero, where to mark something as that something needs to be done, I add a star to it because stars in Gmail are like the easiest. Yep. It's the easiest binary toggle to add to a thing. And then a star means there's an outstanding to do. And then the next stage in that state machine is if I've done the thing, then I take off the star, which I'm not super happy with yeah. thinking about that. Like I could have a separate to do system. Like I've tried stars. I've tried folders. I've tried, I think tags are a thing or something and none of them mm. work quite right. So I just always revert back to marking it as unread. Yeah. That'd be fun. If there was like a getting things done system embedded in email, maybe it's, maybe this client is like getting things done for Gmail. Hmm. Okay. I want to, I want to, sit on that a little longer uh two left thank you so much for tolerating my this fun <laughs> cool uh you're having some great hot takes uh okay so this next idea is based on relationship research by john gottman uh this idea that if you're in a relationship and you're having fewer than five positive interactions for every negative interaction that relationship is too negative and it's grading and you feel just like it's wearing you down and it's not positive enough you're you're just being criticized and the surprising thing about this research to me is that there's also an upper bound on the amount of positive feedback that you get for negative feedback if you if you're getting more than 11 positive interactions to every one negative interaction the relationship you're having is unchallenging and it's boring and you feel like you're being placated and the person you're dealing with is sycophantic and so here's the idea it's a positive feedback hotline where anything you're trying to do, it doesn't matter what it is. If you're trying to like get weight loss goals or something, you text this hotline and it will give you positive feedback. And I think it's going to be a really simple system of like the number of exclamation marks in your message to it is like how excited it is about the thing that you've done. So you can sort of like self-modulate like, all right, this was it. Like I, I got the groceries today. That's one exclamation mark. And then it replies back like, oh, great job. I'm so proud of you. Uh, and then if you send it like five exclamation marks, it sends you happy gifts and like celebrating gifts and like like a really supportive, I don't know, like a really supportive mom that's just like very excited and happy for you of what you're doing. But if it was only that, I think it would be too positive. Uh, and so randomly between uh, five and 11 interactions with it, it'll challenge you a little bit and be like, how would you like to do this better next time? <laughs> or like uh, maybe it message you, messages you out of the blue between these positive interactions and is like, hey, what are you up to? What are, what are some goals of things that you uh, want to change? Uh, and this would just be like a Twilio app and I would pre-program in a bunch of positive things it could say and uh, find some fun, happy gifts to send people. Chris, what's your hot take? Yeah, I think this is a really fun idea. Um, there are lots of different ways you could take it. I think one of my initial reactions was this is a great GPT-3 um, kind of thing. Um, oh, yeah. It could be like, you know, <laughs> the input to GPT-3 would be something like, send them a positive reaction about this text and then give the text <laughs> message. And then, it, you know, it could actually come up with like relevant positive and negative interactions. Um, that'd be oh, kind of fun. Get spooky. Yeah, yeah. That's a really cool idea. Um, I liked it a lot. Also, like th this sort of exists even in like info products. So I was thinking about making this uh, this course about like how to become a consultant, right? And selling that as a course. Um, I think that a lot of people can be consultants and they don't realize it. And there's you know a few steps that you should do, and then you can kind of be a consultant, right? Um, and one of my tiers was going to be something like uh, the the kick you in the butt tier or something, where I was going to call you every month and ask <laughs> if you have done the things yet. Um, and that yeah. was just going to be one of the tiers. Uh, so this could be very similar to that. It's like I love it for like, yeah, weight loss goals. And there's a lot of things you could do, but it's like, you know, 
like every day. So actually, when I was trying to lose weight once, I had something like this. I wrote a note on my phone that was basically like, don't eat a snack. And I set an alarm for every day at 2 p.m. <laughs> and I said, read the note. <laughs> and the note said, don't eat a snack. Um, so yeah, I, I sort of did that before uh, and it worked. Cool. So um, yeah, I love it. I like that idea. Uh, yeah. I love GPT-3. That I've been looking for a, an, or, an organic application for GPT-3 GPT because I feel like the the obvious things to do are sort of done of like, ah, let's, an automatic essay writer or a thing that writes the HTML for a web page that you're doing. Which, by the way, amazing. That's a thing that exists. We're, we're going to have like full AI soon, I, I, maybe decades. But like, th this is very meaningful progress. Uh, and I've heard stories of people who were able to get access by having a very compelling pitch and like messaging key people directly of like, hey, there's this idea of this thing I want to do. So I think this is my thing. I think this is the thing that I use to push this forward. That's a really good idea. Because then when you say like, I just lost 10 pounds with one exclamation mark, uh, instead of my system of, I just s respond to the number of exclamation marks, maybe GPT-3 would know to respond like, that's amazing that you lost so much weight. You're a real... Uh, <laughs> Donnie Fonda? Is, it, is that an exercise person? I have no idea. <laughs> you're... you're <laughs> Uh, you're doing great for your health or something specific to the thing that they did. Jane Fonda, Jane oh, Fonda. Okay. Uh, Cause there's the exercise of lifting your legs as a scissor is the Jane Fonda. That's, that's what I was trying to say. All right. Anyway, uh, last thing, my last thing I would like a hot take on. I downloaded a course recently that, uh, or I, I bought a course that included MP3 downloads of the course content. And I, didn't I, I had the thought like, oh, I want this to be on my phone as a podcast uh, because my podcast player is a great way that I can go through content to uh, like I can do multiple times speed and I can cut out the silence and uh, there's great interactions of play, pause and rewind and things. And I know that it already interacts with all of my other things. And so I want these MP3s to be a podcast for me. And I actually went through Transistor and was like, maybe I make a private podcast just for myself <laughs> and then subscribe to it in my podcast app. Yeah. Uh, but that I, I didn't want to do that. I, I found an easier way of just through uh, Pocket Cast Plus, which is the Android uh, app that I use. I was able to have cloud storage, which I, I loved. I didn't know that was a thing. And then uh, I could listen to the... It, it, it let me treat those audio files as a podcast. So it basically made a private podcast. But it got me thinking, like, there's a lot of things that are weird that I would like to do around media consumption, like taking notes on books uh, or like, and, and timestamping that. Of, uh, it, my workflow right now is if I hear an interesting thought, I'll pause the podcast I'm listening to and then switch over to Google Keep and then uh, write the title of the podcast on top and then take my note. And if it's like really good, I might do a timestamp of it. And what would be really cool is if that was all contained in the podcast app. And maybe I can also do it with like EPUBs or uh, other ebook formats of like, it's reading it to me as speech to text. Uh, I, I consume content through audio much easier than I do if I'm having to sit down and read it. Um, and then it, it's the same sort of interface of like, okay, I have a thought on this. It's a single button. Maybe I press and hold it and it starts recording my voice and then I let go and then that transcribes it automatically and saves the uh, voice note that I did and saves the timestamp and the title of the podcast of the thing that I was listening to. And now that's 
in a format that I can easily move to other places. Like I can export that and move it into my main note-taking system or I don't know, maybe it has webhooks and it can go into Notion or uh, whatever tool people want to use. Right. Uh, Chris, what's your hot take? So I think this is a good idea too. Um, if you are uh, hosting, uh, some thoughts are if you're hosting media, then you may run into more terms of service problems um, if you're like re-hosting media or something. But uh, I have done something similar to this before, actually. Uh, it was a long time ago, so I can't quite remember why, but I wanted to uh, reserve. Um, uh, I think it was MP3 files to myself. And so I wrote a thing that did that. Um, and then I could access it remotely. I, I can't remember exactly why now, but it was something similar to, I, you know, I had a course and I wanted it to ingest it in a different way or on my phone or something. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think it's more like, there's a kind of like a personal podcast feed, which is like re-hosting mm -hmm. content. And then you're able to like clip and take notes on it yourself. Um, I do a similar mm -hmm. thing. You know, I have, I take notes on uh, podcasts and I just keep a notes file with yeah podcast uh, time stamp and in my thoughts, it'd be neat if that was an app. Um, yep. the other thing I do is I will I'll keep entire MP3s of podcasts that were really good and listen to those every once in a while. Uh, mm -hmm. so it'd be kind of cool if you could like star an entire podcast episode and be like, you should listen to this every six months or something, you know, um, mm. uh, stuff like that. Yeah. So I think there's a lot around podcast consumption or video consumption. If you go that route and note taking and stuff, um, that'd be really neat. This is sort of tying into with my clip stop marketing stuff of uh, an angle on clipping that I've been chewing on is what if the clipping was done by listeners? What if, what if listeners of this podcast clipped episodes and then those clips, like we knew about the timestamps that they clipped and then we could take those and automatically feed them into uh, our social media feeds. Uh, I haven't quite connected those ideas together yet, but yeah. Yeah, I I, I've heard that idea be before. Cool. And the most common criticism is like a lot of people listen to podcasts like while running or while doing housework or something. And so they don't, yeah. they don't have a hand free to do clipping. Um, mm -hmm. But my counter, my current argument to that is, well, that's not how I listen to them. I listen to them on my computer almost exclusively, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, and so, and then I do take notes. And then the other thing is, if someone almost never takes notes, then when they do take a note, you know, it was a really impactful clip. You know, if they stop running yeah, yeah, yeah. and they take out their phone and say, I want to remember that. Um, then you know yeah. that that was something that a lot of people should probably remember. Um, so I like that. Yeah. Hmm. And maybe it doesn't have to be a perfect clip. Maybe it could just be, maybe, maybe we as the podcast creators could see the timestamps that people were taking notes on. Yeah. And then just take the first 20 seconds and last 20 seconds or something. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay, that's another idea to chew on. Uh, we made it through my gauntlet of ideas. <laughs> Thank you for your hot takes. That was that was great. Uh, what are you working on? What are, what do you have planned for the next week? Yeah. So I I want to get back on Acorn Chat. I stopped doing that. Well, I didn't stop doing it, but I basically got diverted by uh, taking care of my wife and kids. Um, and I also sort of took it as a break. I was like, you know. I should take a little break. So like, I, I went sledding also with my kids um, after my wife almost broke her foot um, on a different, <laughs> on a different hill though. So. Um, <laughs> Bye honey. I'm going to go break some more feet. Exactly. Yeah. The whole time, the whole time cool. my wife was sitting up in a camping chair with her crutches at the top of the hill, <laughs> watching us go down the hill. And I'm like, I'm going to break something uh, now and she's going to have to rescue me. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> sledding is dangerous. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's so much fun though. That's yeah. Um, that's, 
so yeah, I sort of, you know, took it kind of easy the last couple of weeks. So I want to get back into that. Um, I also started, so I've been interested in AI for a long time and mm-hmm. like I did it in college some, I did it uh, a few years ago some, and there are, have been a couple of courses recently that have come out on Coursera. And then there's another one uh, that have really been interesting to me. So I started actually paid for Coursera to get access to full access to the course, which I didn't think I would do, but I did. So there you go. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I've been doing that, uh, kind of, I'm, I'm really interested in like the generative type of AI stuff. So like generating text or images, uh, with, a, with neural networks, that's just really interesting to me for some reason. And so, yeah, so I'm kind of doing that in my spare time as a side project with no, that's so cool. No real goal. Just, I, you know, just want to get through the course and I thought it'd be really neat. So, you know, learning about AI, I don't think is possibly a thing that could be a waste of time. Uh, that's yeah. uh yeah, I, I think it's a really good goal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will link that course in the show notes. That's also a thing I've been interested in diving more into. And I've, I think what I've struggled with is like having a problem that AI solves. It's really good at classification, but I don't have very many classification problems. And with GPT-3, it's good at basic generation of like art and text and music. But I haven't really had a reason to use that before this idea with uh, this positive texting thing. Uh, and, you know, the, the the I could say the same thing about Ethereum and cryptocurrency of like, I, I think it's a it's a really cool technology that hasn't quite found its niche of the problem that it solves. Maybe not with Bitcoin because uh, it's like a store of value. Uh, but like, it, it, it's very exciting to me to learn about these things and then just have that as a tool in my tool belt. Because now the adjacent possible of every problem that I encounter is like, oh, I have this whole tool of like, I can classify things very easily and train a neural net. Okay, well, that changes how I'm thinking about this problem. I thought I was going to have to hire a company of people to be able to do this thing, but actually I could just plug in this AI. Uh, that's really cool. I'm excited to see what that looks like. Oh, maybe with Acorn Chat, that could be a fun thing of like AI responses. That's sort of a thing that already exists. That's a thing that already exists and people sort of universally hate it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, so I wasn't exactly going that direction right away, but, um, yeah, yeah. So you're, you're like, you're right. Like most uses for AI are for big companies or with like, you have to have a lot of data or you have to have a lot of money. So GPT three, I think costs them like $12 million to train the network. Mm. Um, so you have to have like a lot of money or a lot of data. Uh, it, it has been useful for me in my professional life a little bit. Um, so I've done consulting for companies, uh, like healthcare companies, for example, that have access to hundreds of thousands of people's medical records. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting project. We did a little bit of data science on the, the other thing though, is that uh, most people, um, don't realize that most data science and most machine learning that happens in the real world is not deep neural networks. Um, most of it is just like, is really simple, sort of basic, like, you know, random forests. There's some other, you know, there's some other just machine learning things that are really quite easy to understand. Um, and, and you don't need deep neural networks for them. But mm-hmm. deep neural networks are the fun thing because you can do things like make faces that don't exist and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that's what I'm doing now. I'm just learning more about that and messing around with that. How exciting that like we're living in the future and it's <laughs> we're facing these very pragmatic problems of we have machine intelligence and it's not quite at human intelligence yet. So we have to like, it's it's this practical problem of what are things that this thing is good at doing. Like if I was imagining this future 50 years ago of, okay, we have machines that are so capable of simulating human thought that they can write essays. 
don't you think the world would be so much different? You know, 50 years ago, I would have been like, oh my gosh, yes, the world's going to be completely different. And like, no, I guess that's, right. that's very little of what it actually is to be human. And you, you need to be able to do a lot more than that to be a, a competent person in society. Like we're, we're a long ways away from, uh, a long ways away, like probably on the order of decades of computers completely replacing radiologists or completely replacing whatever accountants. Uh, I think we're in this fun transition period where the best things that are able to act in the world are going to be these computer human hybrids of like, if you're an accountant who can use these AI tools to magnify what you're able to do, you are the best accountant entity that there is. You're better than any human accountant and you're better than any AI accountant. Uh, I think, I think that's where chess is right now, but chess may have been surpassed completely by by uh, ai yeah i think it just switched but it, you, for, for a long time you're right exactly it was uh, a hybrid team was the best uh, team in the world um now i think just recently it, it it's switched so that i think the same team that wrote uh, the alpha zero yep applied it to chess and that is now better than any any other team or hybrid yeah that tracks it's kind of spooky philosophically that that's what the progression is where like first humans are the best and then humans and computers are the best and then inevitably just humans computers. become the best that's right. like all right what what are we going to do then <laughs> yep yep uh, yeah. yeah it is interesting so ai is really good at two things one is things that humans can already do in like less than a second so like classification mm -hmm. is that is this a dog or is this a cat that kind of thing mm -hmm. um and then the other thing is predicting it, the next thing in a sequence of things and so that's what gpt3 mm -hmm. is that is you know given this text input what is the next one word or a thousand words, you know, but, but the only reason it's good as that is because it's seen, you know, a billion words or something like that, uh, or yeah. more than that, a billion pieces of text. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's sort of like it's approaching human intelligence without actually being, it, it has no knowledge about what it's saying. It just knows mm -hmm. that if you give it this input, it should return these things. Um, yeah. so yeah, when, when it switches to actually knowing about what it's talking about, that's when we need to watch out. That'll be spooky. People are worried all about like these political crises and like uh, climate change and everything. And I'm very much in the camp of, ah, uh, we have this huge looming thing on the horizon <laughs> of like, we are making a super intelligent machine and we have no idea what's going to happen next. All of these other problems sort of pale in comparison to that. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's fun for that's, context. That's I, Sam Altman. So he, Sam Altman's in charge of OpenAI. That's his thesis. It's like, AI is coming soon. As soon might be 10 yeah. years or it might be 100 years. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like in 100 years, we're going to have something that is more intelligent than all the humans put together. We should be mm. afraid of that. <laughs> and uh, afraid in a, you know, like a grand sense. Like it can be used for good or evil. Yes. We should make sure it's used for good and not yes. you know, killing everyone. Yeah. Yeah. We should all be paying attention to AI. Uh, yeah, Elon Musk has that really spooky quote from the Joe Rogan podcast too. Where he's, he's like looking off in the distance. He's like, "I tried to warn them. I tried, to, I tried to stop the AI, but there's no use." And Joe Rogan's like, "Oh man, I feel like I'm in a movie." Uh, yeah, that's. I, I think it's probably the most important existential threat that humans are facing. Uh, oh gosh, th there we go again. Oh, that means we've been talking for almost an hour. Uh, cool. That's all I got. That's all I got too. Then I'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Good episode. Oh, are we still recording? Still recording.